Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. This week, we welcome YouTube personality, softball player, singer, and so much more, my best friend, Melody Maya Monet. She'll beam up from Orlando, Florida in just a few minutes. Ah! Have you seen the news? Ah! Oh, my God. Carly, they've canceled the CIAC winter tournaments because of the coronavirus. Yeah, and, and at this point, the two two of the majors that are going on right now, swimming, the swimming open championships or this swimming class championships are this weekend. Basketball is going on, hockey's going on, and now they're all and now they're all scrubbed. And as far as we as far as I know, that is the first that's the first cancellation in the entire country of this type. Due to the due to the coronavirus right now, high school, for example, high school sports tournaments, especially basketball, are going on from Maine to Maui. But this is the first time I've heard of somebody canceling it. Now, one other piece of news we did get: the Ivy League canceled their basketball tournament. On the men's side, Yale earned an automatic bid because of it, due to the standings. But I mean, this is I'll tell you, colleges wow. and high schools all across the country. They're all canceling classes. They're doing online. Uh, study abroad is being canceled. You know, my biggest uh, big worry right now is that my son is supposed to go to Barcelona, Spain in two weeks, and they have not yet canceled their study abroad program. And we're getting nervous. Um, you know, I want him to be safe. That's the most important thing. It'd be a great adventure, but I can't take the risk that he might get quarantined. Imagine going all the way to Spain and having to spend it the entire quarter in your room. Yes, and but check out some things that are that are happening. You're talking about Spain, right? Here's some news that just came right. through the, that are coming through the wires at this time. Spain has banned events with more than 1,000 people in designated what they call coronavirus risk zones. I do know that the that La Liga has that Spain's top two divisions have canceled their next two match days in um in soccer. La Liga, wow. I mean La Liga Primera has canceled their next two match days. As, as they're trying to figure out what to do, there was a joint statement yesterday of all the sports league of all the major sports leagues that are playing in this country right now, as far as what their contingency plans would be. The NBA has has been the first out front saying that there's a possibility they'll play the rest of the season without fans being allowed in games to be if necessary. Well, LeBron James sounded off about won't play if there's no fans. Well, I mean, well, I mean that. I mean, that is the possibility. I think he's going to go back on that when he realizes if you don't play, you don't get paid. I mean, I, th <laughs> I think he might just go back on that. I mean, this has affected everybody. Yesterday, um, I was I did an interview for Outsports with uh, Marianne Ballyu, the uh, the powerlifter. She handles facilities for the University of California Berkeley. She's the person that sets up all that sets up a lot of the infrastructure a lot of the technology and the performing infrastructure for like performing arts performances, concerts, things like that on the campus. They have canceled their entire program programming for the rest of the year because of coronavirus. Wait, for the rest of the year? For the rest of yes. the year? For the doesn't make any sense. For the rest of the academic year, and they're and they're looking at contingencies for fall next year. They have basically said the rest of this academic year, there will be no performing arts programming on the campus. And for the academic year, they're going to reassess. And for the next academic year, they're going to reassess in June. But right now, she says they're 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 shutting. I mean, they're they're performing arts are going to be shut down on campus at this point because there are cases in the Bay Area, there are cases in that part of the country, and they're just con and there there's just a lot of concern about it right now. Well, I'll tell you this thing: 
there are uh, locker rooms for the NHL, the MLB, the NBA. They all basically close themselves off to reporters now. They don't want any reporters in the locker rooms. And it's uh, pretty scary. I mean, this is, I don't know. I don't know if it's at the point where we can call it a panic, but I guess precaution is probably the best word to use. And if, if, if people are smart, if they wash their hands, if they avoid social contagion, if they try to keep, uh, you know, their distance, avoid large crowds, I, I think, you know, we're going to get through this. But um, the people most at risk are still the elderly and those with compromised immune systems. Um, you know, our transporter, by the way, it has a quarantine filter that filters out any bad stuff. So if we set coordinates for Central Florida right now, we can beam in Melody Maya Monet. Welcome to the transporter room, Maya. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I so like the I coronavirus I free. I hope so. I love the fact that you did a Q&A this week, not just because you answered some of my questions, but you always get a chance to reintroduce yourself in that way when you do a YouTube video that answers fans' questions. How is it you ever became a YouTuber personality in the first place? Oh, gosh. Well, I think like most transgender people, at one point I thought, hey, I'm going to document my entire transition on YouTube. So I started doing that in 2011 shortly after I moved from uh, Texas to Orlando after my divorce. And then I just kind of stopped doing it. I lost interest in it for years. And then uh, I happened to have a friend who was dating a YouTube star, I guess you can say. And she encouraged me to to basically start my own. You know, she, she was pretty successful. And uh, it, it is through her that I then met other YouTubers who also encouraged me and before I knew it, I decided to start a channel. I, bu I bought a little camera and I started making my, my little videos. And I'm up to now, four years later, about 150 videos. So, yeah. <laughs> and how many subscribers? Uh, as of this morning, of just under 14,400. So, you know, not as big as the big, big ones, but enough to fill an arena like, like the Amway or something like that. <laughs> Well, I will tell you this much: you 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 gained one maybe twenty five minutes ago when I when I finally just got my got myself off the fence and subscribed. But oh, I've been a long time. But I've been a but I've been a watcher for about two years, including one particular episode that published April seventh of last year, where you had oh, okay. you had somebody in yellow who with a very prominent red uh -huh. hair, who's a relatively yeah. well known person, who, who both of us right now have rather close access to well not yeah, so close i yeah. want to keep myself from getting the coronavirus but <laughs> that bitch yeah that that's true i did i did get the star in one of maya's videos and it was a lot of fun we talked about um changing your uh, uh sexual attraction post-transition yes i remember that episode very well i'm sure carly you can sympathize with me i had to carry her the whole way but you know it, it, we got through it, 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 was, it was great. I, yeah i know i mean and you know and you know that dawn is such a diva she yeah such, i know she is such the prima donna let me tell you dawn is talent is it she'll for, make for the drink. <clears throat> yeah so i guess that's the end of our episode <laughs> Her rider was like a page long, you know. I had red skittles only, things like that. It was <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, I'm sitting in my trailer right now with my with my bonbons. 
Right. Sure. So Carly, Carly, you have a question for Yes, I do. I want to actually I want to get into some sports a little bit to Okay. To begin yeah. with, so, hey, now you play so, now you're a pitcher in a softball mm-hmm. league, which is kind of hey, which is I, good. I, we can actually talk. I'm a catcher. And oh. how do we Yeah, I I'm a catcher for my softball team team in my softball league. What got you What got you playing? I mean, I had heard that when you started playing softball, you weren't out to people, and then you came out to people as as you progressed forward. I mean, wow! Yeah. What made you want to? Uh, what made you want to come? What first? What guy? What made you decide? You know what? I want to play a sport. I want to play a team sport. And mm-hmm. what kind of led you to the point where I want to be out playing a team sport? Oh wow! You, you ladies have done your research. Okay. Um, yes. So when I moved here to Florida for the first seven or eight months, I was you know primarily concerned about my transition. But I, I found out that it was there was an LGBTQ local league, so it was a place that I thought that I would feel comfortable joining. Um, and the reason I joined was because I had been playing softball in Texas. Uh, before I came out. In fact, I was the player manager of two teams, a, a men's team and a co-ed team. And so I just kind of wanted to keep doing that. And I was a picture in Texas. And when I came here, of course, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what I could do. So they put me like everywhere for a while. So, But, but it was something I just kind of wanted to get back into, except I wanted to have the camaraderie of women this time. So I joined specifically uh, a team that was mostly comprised of of lesbians and you know i had a i had a great experience doing that but at first i wasn't quite sure how i was going to be accepted so i didn't immediately tell everybody hey i'm trans there wasn't other obviously trans players in the league that i knew of uh there had been since i've seen i've seen others uh and i've talked to others um and you know the league did have specific specific language about acceptance of transgender people so i wasn't too worried about it from an official standpoint, but yeah, it was uh, it was just something I, I felt like I really really wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> even though at first I think that that first season, for like technically for the first couple of weeks, I was uh, legally still male because I hadn't changed my driver's license, but uh, I did shortly thereafter, and then I just started playing and. I just wanted to be another player, which is why I didn't come out at first. And and I'm not very tall. Um, I'm like five foot five and a half and stuff. So I kind of blended in with the other ladies really easily. Nobody really questioned me. So, yeah. I, I, in fact, I, I played with some players even after I came out for a couple of years before they somehow came around to to knowing that. I, I, one day, I think I set them all down on Transgender Day of Visibility. And I was like, hey, I don't know if. You all know that I am trans, and <laughs> there are a lot more surprised people than I realized uh, what was going to be the case at first. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun. This season off, but I t- intend to start playing again in the fall. I've been playing since 2011, so you know, getting close to 50, and and so I gotta I gotta have to kind of pace myself, you know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you and I, you and I are the same age. Um, yeah, or we, or we will be in a few months. We're, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're slightly older than me. We're gonna uh, in a few months. We'll be the same age. So I'm approaching that five zero mark too. But, but for you, what, yeah. if, in a sense, what did playing, what did sport mean to you throughout your throughout 
your the period as you are going through your transition and as you continue to go through it? What is it? What does the what does the concept of being in in competitive sport mean to you now that you're going through this this new phase and you're moving forward? Um, it was just like a completely new arena. You know, uh, my, my interactions with women had never really been as a woman in these sort of competitive environments before, you know? And so to be kind of all of a sudden included in that was just, I don't know, it just felt amazing. You know, it felt great. All of a sudden I could be one of the ladies in the locker room, so to speak, and, and just, you know, talking about things. It was, it was it was important, I think, to my development as a transgender woman to have that kind of interaction with women, uh, something that I didn't have growing up. You know, obviously, I skipped the first 40 years of all that, so I never got to, you know, play on my high school teams and things. And, and it was, I did play sports in high school as well. I was the captain of my tennis team. I was on my cross-country team. Um, I also played Little League baseball, you know, things like that. And so... I just kind of wanted to replicate those experiences that I had as a young person, as as best as I could as a middle-aged woman, uh, but this time um, in the company of women. So, yeah, I, I would. It's a great experience to have, and I would recommend it, recommend it to any transgender person because it's really hard to replicate those kind of conditions, uh, you know, outside of that. And you know, Maya, you have had an amazing coming out story that just got a twist you came out recently as asexual can you tell us a little bit about oh. that and how that came to be oh man <laughs> yeah so it was very interesting because i think uh, i experienced what a lot of people do which is when you're growing up you know you and you're transgender and you know this was the 80s on long island uh don i think you can <laughs> we were living, both living in the 80s we had the high hair and we walked the dog yeah. and we parked the car <laughs> yeah exactly you know I went to get, get pizza Gino's I like Gino's pizza, you like that yeah. oh, okay, so I forget what it was called you but, go uh, over there and I go over here yeah I know <laughs> right so so yeah so you know I grew up I grew up uh, envying the the, you know, the teenage girls around me as a teenager. But I found myself attracted to women at that young age. And I was very confused by that, you know, um, because we didn't have the resources we have now, the examples we have now. I realized I could possibly be a woman and also transgender. Um, so fast forward years later, you know, I go through my transition and I do identify as a lesbian now. Um, and I still felt that attraction, but, you know, growing up uh, after in my marriage, et cetera, I always felt that I was broken before my transition because I wasn't a woman. And then later on, I found out after I was a woman, I still felt broken when in my sexual relations with women. And I could not figure that out. Why was I not, you know, whole now? Why wasn't I, you know, healed from these past traumas? And then I really thought about it and I started doing a little research into be, what it being an asexual is. And I realized uh, I highly identified with that kind of, well, lack of kind of sexual interest and in that I can be attracted to women on kind of an emotional level and even like a vaguely, you know, like I want to kiss them, I want to cuddle them kind of level. But when it comes to sex, I'm just kind of meh, 
you know, I'm kind of, it's okay. It's something that I know it is important to my partners and I would engage in, but it's, it's felt a lot like faking it my, my entire life. And it just, you know, it was very mysterious to me the why that happens after I came out and after now, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost 10 years after I came out at this point, a decade. So I realized that there was a category for me and that is asexual. Um, you know, there's a lot of subcategories of that. I actually don't know. This is very new for me. I don't know what category I fit in yet. Subcategory, perhaps demisexual where, you know, it takes me getting to know somebody very, very well before I feel any kind of sexual attraction for them. But at the moment, uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty asexual. And, and just like before where I felt broken, in my in my relationship, I realized that I still felt broken, and now I had a name for why that is, and that actually has kind of clarified a lot of things for me. So, I'm, well, I'm, I'm asexual so, by default because it's it's been what yeah. seven years since I've had sex with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I understand. But, but how do you, how yeah. do you feel now that you owned it and put a name on it? How does that make you feel? makes me feel a lot better, uh, actually, because I always felt in some sense that I was almost lying to my partners, you know, that the, that sex was, was largely performance for me. Um, and I felt very guilty about not telling them that, you know, I'm not really into this. I didn't want to hurt the feelings of my partners, you know, let them know that, that you know, that it isn't them, you know, that I, I can say that now because I know what it is about me that's blocking me or not blocking me. It's just me, you know. Um, but I realized by, from talking to a lot of friends that I don't see or approach or feel about sex the same way they do. And I was like, wow, okay. It's, it's like realizing that not everybody sees the same colors you do or, or, you know, that not everybody sees green the same way you do or something. So it took a while to figure out. And now that I do, I don't have to feel guilty about my sexual encounters, you know, few and far between as they are, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's been a revelation. Well, I'll tell you one thing, cuddling's always better than sex anyway, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing I do know about you from looking at your videos is you can sing. In the arms of the angels fly got some serious singing chops going there i mean how were you i mean i know one thing i know from your most recent video is that mm-hmm. that you always had a voice that had the that had somehow you just had the knack and had the right template but going through mm-hmm. transition how did you how did you enhance the natural gifts you already had and advance them to the level that you have them? Because, like I said, I heard you give get, drop a few bars in your last video, and I was like, "Wow, get this girl!" Well, Carly can sing now. too. Don't 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 be so shy, Carly. You sing too. Yeah, but I'm not like dancing. not like Maya. <laughs> Maya Maya's the voice. Yeah, um, you know. I was really concerned before my transition that I would limit my singing. Uh, I really was, because I really didn't know what to expect when I got to the other side. And I think that's a common uh, fear of a lot of trans women or transgender people in general, you know, when they're going to transition. I know I have a friend actually also from Long Island who's a trans guy. His name is Ryan Casada, and he's a professional singer. I mean, he's got like, you know, 
actual albums and, and streams on Spotify. And he's touring with Against Me, the uh, the the famous band that's fronted by Laura Jane Grace, who's herself a trans woman. And, wow. And yeah, and he's he's coming to Long Island pretty soon, actually. But but he um, you know, he he doesn't take any hormones at all, you know. Um, and I. I can understand that because, you know, if you've gotten yourself a reputation with a, a voice, uh, especially with trans guys where, of course, uh, testosterone will significantly alter them, um, you know, that's a concern. So I, I actually wondered if I'd ever really be able to sing again or if, if I were to sing, whether I'd basically only be able to sing with half my voice, um, you know, just like the upper registers and kind of drop everything else. And uh, I just decided to join the Orlando Gay Chorus here in, uh, here in town, which has been around now for 30 years. So it's very well established and very open and accepting. Just to try to try to get back on stage and try to start doing this thing that I used to love when I was a teenager, because really after high school, I stopped singing on stages. You know, I, I never joined a, one of the, uh, uh, the glee clubs on campus uh, at, at college or anything like that. So um, I just decided to get really back into it. It's something I've always loved. And as I started singing, you know, for the audition, I remember the choral director asked me, okay, well, you know, you can sit with the tenors if you want like before, but you could also sit with the altos. I'll leave it up to you, you know. Um, they knew I was transgender, and, and I really appreciate that. And, and much like with sports, I decided I wanted to be in the company of women it wasn't something i'd done before and so i decided to be an also um and so that allowed me to kind of develop my voice um besides besides what i'd already done you know on my own of course singing in my car singing in the shower with women's voices and that kind of thing i just started doing it and kind of shaping it and rounding it out until one day i had a solo in orlando gay chorus which was like in front of you know, five or 600 people by myself on a stage. And I actually was singing parts of a song called Traveling Through, uh, which is by Dolly Parton and was on the soundtrack for Transamerica. So they kind of asked me to do it as the only transgender member of the chorus. <laughs> and I really liked it. So at that point, I decided to just kind of step on the stage of a local open mic that a friend of mine ran. And from that, I, I got some attention. And uh, I, I, actually ran into my, my well, a person I like to call my hetero life mate, Dev. Who, uh, I know Dawn is very familiar with as well. Dev is my rock, my foundation. So he said, you know, I really, really would like to work with you. He had been in a professional band in the 70s. So we started working together. I started learning to play the guitar. And eventually that started leading to gigs around town. And really, when you're standing on stage alone and you're carrying that music, uh, you know, Dev has some songs he would sing, and of course he would back back me up on uh, you know sing harmonies. But when you're when you're the voice everyone is like concentrating on, you really it's it's trial by fire. You either sink or swim. And my voice just started to blossom in a way that I didn't expect, and it got stronger, it got more powerful, I got more confident. Um, and really, before my transition, I don't think I could have done that. You know, that, that confidence was lacking, the confidence in who I was. So to be able to just stand there and say, this is who I am, and let me just sing, was great. And what was even more interesting was that I started to drop into what I used to consider my more masculine voice, you know, which was always a higher 
voice anyway because it was a tenor voice but and I would stand in front of these crowds who were large, largely cisgender straight people, sometimes in a dive bar, and just sing songs in whatever register I wanted. And I realized that they didn't blink an eye. They never questioned who I was. They never asked me, oh, you know, you have an interesting voice. Or they would, they would more normally say, wow, you sound a lot like Natalie Merchant. I probably have heard that, I don't know, a hundred times. So uh, I learned one of her songs just because of that. But you know, it just made me realize that I did not have to have my voice. I could use my entire voice. And that has just, you know, thrust me out there. And, and yeah, I, I love doing it. It's something I never want to stop doing. And hopefully I never will have to. As someone who's like kind of going through that process, it's good to hear you yeah. say that. How important was it to keep doing the things you do as you move forward and we're going to get an answer to that but first we're going to take a quick break the voyage continues you're in the transporter room we'll be back and we're back in the transporter room with melanie maya monet i'm don ennis with carly webb tomorrow on the outsports podcast network it's lgbt in the ring Host Brian Bell returns from primetime pro wrestling's historic Butch versus Gore event with a full review of the LGBTQ-focused action. And he brought his partner KC along for the ride. Download and listen this and every Thursday on the OutSports Podcast Network. Carly, over to you. I'm looking forward to, to hearing that show, I might add, because that was a very special weekend for pro wrestling. But Maya, as a per as I mean, I'm someone who's right now going on, going kind of in that similar voice that you're going, you know, especially with the voice, with trying to get a voice and finding a voice because, I mean, and for myself, I'm kind of going in a different vein from singing. I want to get back into sports casting again. But how important was it for you to keep doing the things that make you the person you are, even as you're going forward in your transition? And even as you're making the changes you feel you need to make, how important was it to keep the core things that make you unique there and the, as part of the program and transitioning with you? Um, I don't think it can be overstated how important it is. I mean, just you don't have to drop everything you were during your transition. You know, I think a lot of people say, oh, well, that's part of my masculine life. I'm not going to continue doing them. But I think we have a chance after our transitions to kind of reinvent ourselves and also reinterpret the parts of our past that we want to carry forward with us. You know, uh, I have friends sometimes who say, Oh, I can't enjoy football now. I can't wear football jerseys after I transition and stuff. And I'm like, why, you know, you, you know how many lesbian friends I have who just watch football every Sunday, you know, um, I had a transgender friend once tell me that, if you like to do it, that means women like to do it. And that means it's okay. <laughs> well, no, that, and, that's very important because for me, the first, yeah. the first all-women's team I played for is this past fall. It was a flag football team. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. I know it's very important that you say that because I, I mean, that's the one thing when I came out to my family, we talked, they said, so I guess you don't like sports anymore. I said, no, I love sports even more. <laughs> And I, I, I love them even, even more sports has been my life. And to me, I could, I mean, trans, sports has been such a part of my transition that 
I couldn't imagine me not watching a sporting event. I couldn't imagine me not playing a game. I couldn't imagine me not towing a starting line again. It means more now. Like, like, like for me, going out and playing softball meant my first softball game I played. I went out on the field, took my position, and I and tears started forming up because I never thought I would get to represent myself in this way as myself. And it just meant so much. So no, I mean that I'm right with you there. It was it's that important to keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I could and I could tell you just hearing hearing you say what you said before the break, really it really touched a chord with me because I'll I'll put it right out there. My voice is a major part of where my dysphoria comes from and where my yeah. confusion comes from. And to hear you talk about your experience when you were on the stage doing singing, singing in front of a lot of strangers at some dive bar and just not even thinking about it, just thinking about what you do and what you love to do. That that touched a chord with me. It, I needed to hear that today. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could help with that. I mean, I think it's important for us to be authentic and not limit ourselves. You know, it, it's kind of funny that after we transition, uh, like your family did with you, for some reason, we people expect us to live to these sort of female stereotypes all of a sudden. It was like when I came out mm-hmm. to my mother, the first thing she asked me was, how long did I know that I was interested in men, you know, sexually? Uh, she automatically assumed that that meant that uh, I'd be into men. And I'm like, why are we placed, you know, under these limits that cisgender women aren't, you know, cisgender women can be attracted to anybody. They can play sports and that kind of thing. Of course, they had to fight very hard to get to that point in history. But I think when we say, you know, well, I am a woman too, as a transgender woman, all of a sudden it's like we get knocked back to the 1950s and everybody wants us to be the happy homemaker, you know, wearing, you know, a poodle skirt and stuff and, and attending to our men and not, being involved in those icky sports and things like that. And that's not the way, the reality, we, we, we come in in just as many varieties as cisgender women. So, yeah, I think it's important not to limit ourselves because we think we can't do something after sports. That's really just the patriarchy, you know, speaking uh, to us or, you know, or, or limiting us. It's, it's misogyny. So I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's there's some misogyny we have to come you know, overcome ourselves you know internalize so I, I it's sports is important for that because it allows us to kind of break out of that that role that mold you know that we have to be these ultra feminine beings because we're trans women so on your latest video i saw that you talked about your favorite tv shows and one of them ah. is a science fiction show that i've been watching religiously star trek Picard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about tell us about your sci-fi love and about uh, what do you think of the show so far? Oh gosh, you know I really love the show so far, um, and my love for sci-fi goes back to when I was a little little kid, and uh, you know I got started reading a lot of sci-fi novels by like Isaac Asimov and that kind of thing, and then that branched into television and stuff. And I, I got to say, a lot of it has to do with, probably with the fact that I was transgender because. I was always waiting for those episodes where someone would use some scientific means. So, oh, oh, oops, oh, I find myself in a woman's body. You know, how, <laughs> how interesting, you know. 
there was always seems to be the possibility for the future that I would be able to be the person I wanted to be in some kind of way that made it less difficult than actual physical transition is uh, for us today. Uh, you know, there's actually an episode of Star Trek in the original series where uh, where uh, uh, Captain Kirk switches uh, with bodies with a woman and called the Turnabout Intruder. So I uh, I think that kept me going for uh, for years. <laughs> Just thinking about that, um, but you know, I, I do have also just a legitimate interest in in just the themes of sci-fi overall, and and Star Trek in particular, some Star Wars, but I would say I'm more Star Trek than anything. And and actually, I got the opportunity in 1996 to uh, uh, attend the Hollywood premiere uh, premiere of Star Trek: First Contact um, because Patrick Stewart. Uh, through a charity, made tickets available, and he sold them. And I happened to be in town that weekend in in Los Angeles uh, by by miracle of miracles, and I said, I have to do this. I mean, like, it's just kismet. It's destiny. So we bought tickets, and we went to the, you know, the famous uh, uh, theater in, in Hollywood, and people took photos of us as if we were stars, and then we went to the after party and hung out with, you know, well, Patrick Stewart was in VIP. I didn't get to see him very much, but... Uh, you know, the, the rest of the crews were there from DS9 and Voyager and, and uh, Next Generation. And they were just like sitting in front of us. And I remember sitting at a, standing at, um, standing at a little table with, with some food. And next to me, this person walks up and starts eating and, and, uh, and having a really good time. And it was Richard Hatch who played, um, wow. Um, <laughs> Apollo on Battlestar Galactica. And he's smiling at me. And I was like, oh my God, that's Apollo from Battlestar Galactica. And I turned around and I shook his hand and I was like, I have to say, I love Battlestar Galactica. And he the original. Was, the original, yeah. Yeah, the, ori sure. the original. And he started just like smiling and shaking my hand. He And he just seemed extremely happy. And uh, of course, he actually was on the reboot as well. Yes, he was. And, you know, so he's also... He, he also, before he passed away last year, he appears in this new production called Star Trek Axanar, playing a Klingon. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah. There are a lot of Klingons out there who we don't know that, that have, you know, stars that have become Klingons for, for Star Trek. That's a great way to get on the show and not have to be on the show, <laughs> quote unquote. But uh, yeah, Picard. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I got into Star Trek Discovery. Um, which I got to say, first season, I was really kind of iffy about um, because it just seemed such a, you know, far departure from the Star Trek we grew up with, you know, the Gene Roddenberry vision of everybody's perfect and everything's great. And in the future, we've overcome all these things and everything is was kind of sanitized. Um, and it kind of pushed that envelope really far, I thought. Um, Although there were characters I, I love. Of course, Wilson Cruz on that show. Oh, um, yeah. Anthony Rapp. You know, Anthony Rapp, you know, a gay couple on on, on the show, uh, you know, was just an amazing thing to see. You know, the first gay kiss, right? Uh, yeah, right. In right. Star Trek history. Um, and then, first time they said the know, word oh, fuck, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tilly. Right. Tilly says the, fuck. Yeah. And she exactly. that word still carried over 300 years later. So. <laughs> right. Apparently, apparently it has. Uh, but, 
yeah, that kind of thing really shocked me at first. Uh, it felt it was very gritty, and it and it kind of and it carried over the the look and feel of the movies, you know, the the Chris Pine movies, uh, the Star Trek movies. But uh, it had all those special effects, that kind of quality, but then you know this kind of really earthy grittiness that was was really shocking as a Star Trek fan. Um, but then second season started and it's like they rediscovered the fun, you know, of, of Star Trek. I remember seeing the premiere episode and thinking, wow, this really is, this, you know, a, a nice blending of the Star Trek I grew up with and plus this edgier kind of vision of things. And, you know, of course, they also introduced Tignataro on that premiere episode, which, you know, she's a, a lesbian, uh, a lesbian comedian. And you know who else is on the show is Doug Jones, who I loved yes. in uh, The Shape of Water. Oh, Shape what a water. great movie that mm-hmm. was. Oh, Doug Jones. He was, he's just a great guy. He was also the body model for the Silver Surfer in the Fantastic Four movies. That's true. What a body he has. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, so, he, could, he, 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 I love him. And, and I, I can't let Star Trek go by without Sunny saying, I love Tilly. Tilly is like my favorite character. I know. Isn't Tilly great? I have to, uh-huh. I, I can't let the week go by unless I ask Carly this question, which I ask her every week. Carly, have okay. you watched Star Trek Picard yet? By our next show, I will be fully caught up. <laughs> she says that every week. It's sort of no, like the way Gene I just have not a chance to. I'm do- <laughs> I finally broke down and went ahead and got all at CBS All Access. So I'm going to be starting it tonight. Yeah, she says that every week. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm going to no, every be week. Jimmy Kimmel and every night Jimmy Kimmel ends the show saying so apologies to Matt Damon, and <laughs> we, didn't have, we ran out of time. And every week Carly says, "I'll watch Star Trek Picard tonight. I promise." Yeah. <laughs> That, that last episode was amazing, and I don't know if you caught oh, it, but there was an inside yes. there was an inside joke where Patrick Stewart says, you know, he was talking about his current crew on the show, and he said, yeah, yes. they seem to have so much more baggage than you guys all did. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love the show. A I... Commentary within the show. I thought it was mm-hmm, hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to wrap up. We're going to send you back down to Central Florida. Thank you for beaming up oh. to the transporter room, Melody Maya Monet. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Hey, thank you for being here. This is this was awesome. Hey, you keep doing what you're doing. I don't have any choice. I just have to. <laughs> I just have. I just. I just do it because I feel a need to do it, and I, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So. All right, setting coordinates and take care, Maya. See you, Maya. Bye. See you on the interwebs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Isn't she great? You know, she's my trans Jiminy Cricket. Um, she saved my life, literally, um, and has been my best friend for, it's almost a decade now. So I'm very, very blessed to have Maya in my life. And I'm so glad to introduce her to you and to all of our listeners. Well, it, it is a pleasure and an honor to meet her because uh, I, I've been a fan of her YouTube for the last couple of years. And in many ways, She's become an influencer in our community, and it's easy to see why. Uh, just if nothing else, the authentic—she's just authentic. Yeah, she and you just, should see her. I've, I've she, seen her play softball. She is a hell of a pitcher. I hope that uh, she'll rejoin the softball team in the next season. I look forward to like running into her and having to face her at the plate in a tournament sometime. <laughs> All right, Carly, steady as she goes. See you next week. I'll see you next week, and I'll be caught up on Picard by then. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.